Welcome back to Boilers Extra. I am Nathan Baird from the Journal and Courier, sitting across the table from Mike Carmen, also from the Journal and Courier. Uh, he has been out at the first day of, of spring football. He'll be back out there for uh, the next time they have media availability, and it's that time of year. We're, it's the it's the confluence of basketball and football that we get for a, a couple of weeks every year. Yeah, it's spring football. It's fun. <laughs> well, before we uh, move on, we have to congratulate you. You did announce yourself as a uh, trifecta winner in the APSE uh, contest. That's the Associated Press Sports Editors thing. It's a, it's a national deal. It's a it's a huge deal. And Nathan was cited for three of his stories uh, from 2018. So, hearty congratulations to you and your fine uh, skill of putting words together. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, on, I, on fascinating topics. I what were the? I, I do want to know what the stories were that you were. Uh, I think our, our our listeners would want to know what the stories. Why you want to me? That's yeah. when I look at all those awards that come out. I am. I always want to see what they wrote, what, right, how they wrote it, right. and all that. And it, it's it's cool. I don't want to get too inside baseball on this, but it's really cool that they they've started now that they they release these awards over a course of two or three days. So it's not like the Oscars where it's all just. They just kind of. Were you wearing a tuxedo the other day? I'm 40. Or you were wearing a gown? I'm 40 plus years old, <laughs> and I've never worn a tuxedo. So we'll see when I get. It might be um, a while before I get my first one. Um, uh, the, the, on the website for the organization that does this, APSE, they post a list of the people who who were in the top 10, and then they post links to those stories. So if someone. We're interested in that. Those links are out there. Um, but I won for breaking news about uh, the um, basketball guy. The yes, the $10 million guy. Now yeah, endowment. Yeah. Um, I actually shared a breaking news um, award with Ron Wilkins, who's our courts reporter, reporting on the Isaac Haas lawsuit um, last year. I won for a selection of columns, and I won for, um, oh, the story about the John Wooden jersey, kind of the, the backstory of, of that and how that came to be. So b- before Drew Brees got involved, this was still when it was just up for auction, kind of just talking about um, the journey that that took. So there are actually some more categories to be announced, and the Journal and Career has won in some other categories as well. So when, when that all gets wrapped up, I'm sure we'll probably release it because uh, sometimes I feel like it's very self-congratulatory. But uh, the one thing that struck me about this year was Mike DeFabo, friend of the podcast, dearly departed. <laughs> He's not dead, but he's moved on. Um, he he also won a bunch. He's now in the company, though. He is. He's now he's now one of us. He's now joined the mothership of uh, the USA Today Network, and um, he's riding up in Lansing and um, uh, already getting on those people's nerves from what he's <laughs> tweeting. So that seems right on schedule. And um, so I mean, he did great work, and you know, Golden Black does great work, and uh, this is just a it's a really interesting beat to work on. I feel like there's a lot of good work that's done here. And um, I, I don't know if, if how much people read other places across the country, but I think Purdue fans just should know. And I'm not trying to boast about myself, but I just feel like collectively there's good work that's done here. I think it's a competitive beat and people take it seriously. And we try to just be a part of that. No, I mean, I, I think, you know, we do I say we do, we, we do the best job we can. Uh, but I also, I think it helps that, uh, your football program now, the mm-hmm. Purdue football program is now not a national program, but is right. getting national attention in, in some regards. Obviously, when they beat Ohio State the way they did, and the and the Tyler Trent story kind of, yep. you know, puts Purdue out there, and then and then that 
allows people to read the work of us and others that cover it. And then the, the, the way the, the, the men's basketball team has played and the, you know, the 19 game winning streak last year and, you know, this year and with an opportunity to, to get a piece of the big 10, I, I think it, it just allows more people to see the work of what, of what we're all doing. Um, as opposed to if you, you know, Purdue sports was Purdue sports of, what ten years ago? <laughs> yeah, I, it is interesting with, and this is at all levels of these sort of journalism recognition things. It tends to be it's you don't just win awards for reporting on a mundane thing. Like it, you, you kind of have to be in the right place at the right time sometimes. So like if you're covering a bad team, you win awards when they fire the coach or hire the next one, and you break the story. Or if you're covering a really good team, you're winning awards for covering NCAA tournament games and those sorts of right. things. So. Um, yeah, it, it's it's um, it was an interesting year last year, and I think this year, um, you know, with, with what basketball's done here in these these last months leading up to the postseason, and what football is potentially poised to do, I think it could be another interesting year. So um, hopefully, people keep reading us. And uh, unfortunately, like I said, Mike DeFabo has moved on, but um, you know, uh, there's other outlets out there that are are doing good work. And like I said, we're just trying to to keep up with everybody. So um, on that note. Everybody was out at football practice yesterday. <laughs> Not me, but uh, other people. And uh, you know, it's, it's spring football. It's it's either it's it's. I think sometimes it's like incredibly important to certain players who are probably trying to prove themselves in a certain way, and then it's not important at all to others. <laughs> and, and uh, well, one, one, one thing that jumped out from yesterday was you, you always get the roster, like the updated roster, the official updated roster, and. Uh, so anything that jumped out at you as far as who's on there, who's not. And then obviously the big news was even some of the people who are on there are not playing this spring. Uh, as far as the roster attrition, not really. Nothing new that we didn't already know about. Probably the the biggest name that's not here from last year would have been Kieran Catlett. But, you know, he announced uh, in the last month or so that he would be transferring. So um, that, that really wasn't a surprise. But – uh, the fact that Marcus Bailey uh, underwent surgery for a hip issue that he'd been playing with uh, toward the end of last season, which knocks him out of spring. And, you know, Jeff says it, Jeff Brom says he's ahead of schedule, but I think Jeff Brom says that about everybody from an injury standpoint. And there's no reason not to doubt him. It's just he, Marcus Bailey's not going to play uh, in, in the spring football, and nor should he. He doesn't right. need to from a personal standpoint. Um, he knows what's going on. His goal is just to get healthy and get ready for summer, and then and then training camp. It's a, you know, it's, it was interesting because you had Martin Marcus Bailey didn't participate. Rondo Moore wasn't there; he was sick. Derek Barnes pulled a hamstring. Bryson Hopkins, the tight end, has a back issue. Uh, Richie Worship was nowhere to be found. He's got a knee <laughs> issue. Uh, Lorenzo Neal is recovering from off-season surgery. Um, Cornell Jones, linebacker, underwent surgery. He's not there. So you had really your your stars of the program right now, other than Elijah Sindelar. You know, they were no one yeah. was there. I mean, there was right. really no household names that I would consider household names there uh, of the players that were returning, which made it like uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it it's was like, just odd not having Rondell Moore out there, not running passing, you know, right. r- routes. It was right. just okay. Where's the playmaker at? <laughs> like you're going to see the producers on Broadway instead of Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. It's just the understudies. It's, well, in some regards, that's always spring ball. <laughs> yeah. And now some of these guys will get back. I think Rondell Moore will 
come back eventually. And Derek Barnes, I think maybe by the end of the week, early next week. Um, and, and, you know, Barnes probably needs to get back before Rondell Moore gets back type of thing. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of an, it was kind of an odd day for the first day not to have, you know, guys that you're used to seeing out there, you know, doing what they would be doing. But this, this is the best thing for them. And you get guys some extra reps that maybe you could, you wouldn't get um, at all the positions that, that are lacking, especially the defensive line, which they're trying to figure out a lot of things. And, um, you know, but you had some newcomers there. You had George Karloftis, who started with the first team, and the plan was to keep him with the first team for as long as it, he'll play well. And then you had Jalen Graham, which a uh, good-looking safety, um, getting getting some good reps. Uh, and, you know, as I was walking out last night, it, it kind of struck me that, you know, if anybody has seen Corey Trice, big, tall, safety, 6'3 guy, didn't maybe played a couple snaps last year. He had long braided hair. But he's a big guy that looks the part. Then now you got Jalen Graham, which I, I know a lot of people probably haven't seen Jalen Graham. But the dude's got some guns on him. I mean, some serious guns on him. So at some point in the next year or two, maybe this year, you're going to have Corey Trice at one safety position, and you're going to have Jalen Graham at the other safety position. Those guys are like first guys off the bus type of guys Mm -hmm. that, oh, you're starting to look the part now as a Big Ten team. Well, and that Purdue hasn't had for a while. Then you throw George right in the mix there and some other guys, and you've got – You've got a string of guys that you can say, hey, you guys sit in the front so you can walk off first so all the fans could be impressed yeah. by the big bodies that we have. Yeah. What? So uh, well, I want to get to some more general things first, but before we get past this, the Bailey injury, um, you know, we talked just a few weeks ago when we were kind of looking ahead to the spring about how shallow linebacker was as a position for Purdue. Is there any bright side to this in that – um, he doesn't. You know, Marcus Bailey doesn't need spring football necessarily at this stage of his career. He needs to get healthy. He does. He needs that more than he needs reps. There's guys on that roster that need reps. They need attention from. It's like the the, the teacher to student ratio is kind of dwindling now because you take Marcus Bailey out a little bit. So or student to teacher ratio. So is it is there a silver lining here of them getting to kind of narrow the focus on building some depth at that position? Well, it does. It does allow Jalen Alexander and Jack Smith all the reps they want because you don't have Cornell Jones. He he can't he can't practice, and uh, and Alexander and Smith are two guys that are going to play next year, and they played they played some last year. And uh, you know Jalen was a guy that uh, saw a lot of playing time. Jack Smith not as much, but yeah, it allows those two guys to 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 get as many reps at as many different positions as they need. Now they have some other backups that are basically walk-ons from a linebacker standpoint that those guys will get reps and they'll get their, they'll get their turn, but they're just, they're placeholders until Bailey comes back and then Ben Holt Mm. gets here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, and then you add Cornell Jones back in the mix and you're looking at, you know, with Bailey Jones, Ben Holt, Alexander and Smith, that's five. You can always move Derek Barnes back there, and you know as we as we get going in spring, who else are they moving up? Maybe from the safety position. I thought I saw Elijah Ball, uh, who normally is a safety, doing some work with the linebackers yesterday or on Monday. 
so they have some options to slide some guys in and out. And through that, you may discover a guy like Ball, who who they have played at linebacker and safety, that you know maybe he's a better fit here this year mm-hmm. as opposed to to in the past, or at least a guy that can you, you cross train him in a way where if you have an injury yeah. or two, he's a guy that can slide slide down or if you have an injury on the on the other side at the safety that he can he can move in, he can move into that spot. So, yeah, it's going to be beneficial for other guys. You know, Marcus is going to do all the right things. He'll they always talk about the mental reps that they do and I think Marcus will do that and um you know, I think in the end they'll be fine cuz these guys are going to get a lot of practice time and uh they need it. Um you just hope that they don't they don't hit a wall about midway part of spring because right, they're right. the only, you know they're the main guys doing it yeah right, right um you guys haven't talked to bailey yet that happens tomorrow wednesday yeah wednesday? we get linebackers on wednesday and for all for all we know he's still still part of the okay. interview group so i guess i was just saying people might want to look at for that on jc online just for uh, and follow mike carmen at carmen underscore jc just to maybe potentially we don't know for sure he'll be available but to maybe get some more insight on what exactly happened with the hip and and how that's progressing. But I, I think Purdue's just in a situation where as much talent as they've brought in, they just need guys to get better deeper on this roster. And if you can take a guy from a B- minus to a B-plus by the end of the spring or a C to a B- minus or whatever, like that, and you just do it at a couple spots, you still made your team better. And if those extra reps help you get there, I mean, because those are the guys who are going to be playing special teams for you, doing some you know kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. Well, on defense, other than linebacker, defensive line, the secondary, they do have more bodies than what they do at linebacker. So mm-hmm. they, they they do have an opportunity to to build some 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 good depth at both of those positions where they can overcome some injuries. Now they don't, you know, when you take Lorenzo Neal out of the mix, especially in the middle of the of the defensive line, you don't have an elite guy. You know, I, th- I think Lorenzo is either at an elite guy status or he's just a small step away based on how he's played uh, with the with this team over his career. You know, I think you know when he they held up in the bucket game when he went out, but they had zero chance against yeah, Auburn, but right. even if Lorenzo's there, I'm not sure it yeah, changes much. I don't much. think he alone made the difference. <laughs> but he's an day. elite guy on this defense that that plays at that level and I thought as the year went on, he really was plugging up some gaps, taking on double team blocks and uh freeing up uh, the linebackers to make some play, but Without him, you know, a guy like Anthony Watts continues to get more reps. And as, as you slide Giovanni Rivera down, maybe he gets a few more reps inside. And, it, you know, the, part of the key, too, is can George Karloftis solidify himself at an end spot where you don't have to worry about, at least from a starting perspective. And then you could move some guys inside to create more depth and create more competition and – you know, give guys a chance to, to earn a spot. You'll still have guys competing with George, but if you can get an elite guy to, to settle into one of those positions, it get, it does give you some freedom. And the same in the back half. You'll have Navon Mosley. You know, he's going to be a starter at safety. Then you, uh, Simeon Smiley is a guy that will rotate around. The cornerback position still is, I think, a little up in the air. Uh, I'd be curious as spring goes on if they move any safeties over to cornerback to see what they – see what they have there. I think they need to get bigger physically at yeah. cornerback. Um, and some, there are some safeties that have some pretty good size that 
but do they have that cornerback skill that right. they would require? And they've got a new coach this year, so things kind of do change a little bit how that how that position is going to play out. Do you think what you're talking about with Karloftis, could that happen as early as this spring? Could he establish himself as that much of an anchor there at the defensive end spot that they could start to make other decisions based off of that already being that solid from the first week or two of the of his time on campus? Yes. You know, I think Jeff made it clear yesterday that he will remain with the number ones as long as he plays like a number one. Does it mean he's going to have moments in the spring where or, or in the fall. Or in the fall, where it's, he's going to get overwhelmed <laughs> sure. or just have a bad day and um, for variety, variety of reasons. But I think, you know, when you're looking at guys like him and Graham and other other elite guys that they've brought in, they're going to get a little bit of the benefit of the doubt of having a bad day. You know, does one bad day turn into two? Does two turn into three? Yep. Whereas other guys that maybe are not as talented, one bad day kind of knocks you back and knocks you out of whatever position you were in where I, I think, uh, you know, they're going to let that leash go a little bit longer with George. And I think he will move inside at some point just to see what he can do. They don't want to overwhelm him right now with a bunch of stuff, let him get settled at, at one spot, see how he does. And then at whatever time in spring ball, shift him inside, see what he can handle and then, then make a, make an adjustment there. But yeah, if he could, if he could be the guy that they want him to be this early in his career where they can count on him, yeah, that's that's wonderful for, for that defense. Mm-hmm. You know, the more guys you get, you know, if they can get some positions solidified at the end of spring practice as they get into summer and then training camp, I, I think, uh, you know, the better off they're going to be. And I think that gives that def- the defense a chance to get back to the 2017 level, which they, they need to do. I mean, they can't they can't play at the 2018 right. level, in my opinion, and and be effective. They've got to get closer to 2017, and I think they've got some pieces that will allow them to do that. When you say move him inside, do you see it as you mean that in terms of he is still a defensive end who they use inside just for the positional versatility? Could, it could be that, or it could be he just goes to a tackle spot and plays snaps there. Uh, so he'd know. be kind of a hybrid. Yeah, maybe uh, he could be. I think he's a guy that you can move around, but you also have to – you do have to make a bit of a decision on him because if you want him to play inside more than outside, then he, he needs to get bigger. Yeah. he's a, you know, They list him at 265 right now. But I think his strength is his athleticism and his ability to maybe win one-on-one matchups coming off the edge. Mm-hmm. Now, he was – Excellent at that high school just because he overwhelmed everybody. <laughs> it yeah. does, it right. does, in in college, in the Big Ten, you're going against 310-pound tackles that are usually NFL caliber. So how does he hold up in that situation? Can he win one-on-one battles against those guys? It's going to be hard to do as a freshman, but I think they are comfortable, at least right now, putting him in that position to see, okay, how is this going to play out? Now, he may, in the first game against Nevada, win those battles more because – they may not have the kind of talent that you're going to see down the line in the Big Ten. And maybe George has caught on enough. I think this is important to George. This is not something that he's just – he feels like he's anointed and all this. This is something that he's worked for his life to get in this position, and I think he's going to take advantage of it by busting his butt every day to, to prove – he's always had that chip on his shoulder – to prove that he can come in and play and start and be effective as a freshman. And I – that – his self-motivation, I think, is enough. And then you would combine that with a 
the the screaming defensive uh, coordinator Nick Holt. <laughs> I think you've you got the potential to have a pretty good pretty good situation there. And it's too bad we have to wait until the fall to find out how much Nick Holt yells at his own son, which I imagine is as much or more than he yells at anybody else. But um, speaking of NFL caliber offensive tackles, I was going to ask you just as you as the beat writer showing up on the first day of camp, what are you looking for? What are you what are you hoping to see? What do you what were you trying to find out? I assume you spent some amount of time getting an eye on that offensive line that where there's as you've written about a lot of they have a lot to prove there's a lot of question marks and i think they know it yeah you looked at the offensive line you looked at the similar still have the zip the velocity that he had back in december the answer is yes you, you try to look at the two quarterbacks uh the backup positions with the uh, uh, nick sipe and jack Plummer, and just kind of get a feel for them now brian brahm says that aiden o'connell is uh part of the mix too we'll see he's a walk-on got a nice arm and I think a lot of, you know, some one, another reporter asked, should you know, should we not sleep on Aiden O'Connell? And Brian Brom said, no, you better not. And I'm like, okay, all right, <laughs> I won't then. But I think part of it is just more keeping him engaged and also yeah. pushing the two backup quarterbacks sure. to keep it going. So you you know, you looked at that, you looked at the receiving core minus Rondell Moore, and you're like, uh, <laughs> where, where's everybody at? Type of thing. Um, but yeah, you did focus on his offensive line, and to me, this, the 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 biggest thing was that the guy they just moved over to the offensive line in the, in December, Alex Criddle, was starting at left guard on the offensive line. Uh, that's an indictment at a lot so of many t- levels. <laughs> so many levels that um, we'll see how that plays out. Now, could be that okay, what Alex has done in the winter workouts or last. Uh, December and the bowl practices really stood out and they're going to give him a chance. The other part is that all these other guys that you brought in aren't ready. But, you know, I think though these guys are going to rotate through, um, you know, and Jeff Brom always talks about putting pressure on these guys to see how they react and see how they perform. And, um, but I think, you know, the whole, to me, one of the goals is coming out. Because this is a position where you're not going to get a David Bell. You're not getting a Milton Wright. You're not getting a running back. You're not getting a, a defensive back to come in and provide some help. What you have in spring practice from an offensive line standpoint is what you're going to have in the fall. This is the group that's going to play. Because none of the freshmen that are coming in right. are, are going to play. Now, they do have one freshman uh, right now going through uh, spring football. You know, I think he's a long way off, and I think most freshman linemen are the ones at least Purdue are going to get are a long way off. So the group you have now is the group you're taking into that first game against Nevada. So when they leave spring practice, how does it look different on August 6th or August 5th or April 5th as opposed to what it was on Monday? That's that's going to be something to watch. I think Victor Beach should be the center when it's all said and done. Uh, you got your two tackles. Um, and then now you're looking for um, two guards, and you got a lot of bodies to rotate through there, and uh, we'll see how all that plays out. So you watch them a little bit, but as spring practice goes on, you spend more time probably on the offensive line, down the line, and you know more than what what I did the other day, as you just you know you're just trying to get a better feel for kind of what they're doing and and and, and where they're at. And it's uh, they don't go right into like live situations either, so sometimes it's difficult to. 
assess exactly what a guy's doing until there's a guy lined well, across have, from him. They don't have pads on. Right. And you're, right. Just, you're just trying to get the basic plays down because you've been meeting in the classroom. You've been going all over all this stuff. You've had some um, one-on-one time or group time, but without anybody on the other side of you, without you know Anthony Watts breathing down your neck or George Kaloftis breathing down your neck. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, all, all that kind of changes. So, I mean, that, that is, that is going to be a position to watch throughout spring practice. It's going to be a position to watch when we get to training camp also to see, you know, how that, how that group is going to stack up because if they can, if they cannot take a dip in their performance from the first, from these last two years and be at that same level, you know, I think this offense has a chance to, to up its game from a, uh, point standpoint and a production standpoint because they're going to have the weapons on the outside. If you can give Sindelar enough time, then he's going to find them because he has the arm to do that. Um, so, you know, the key really is how this offensive line comes together and uh, plays. And, you know, I don't think anybody's really uh, been hiding from that at all since the last season uh, ended. Besides finding out that Marcus Bailey got a surgically repaired hip for Christmas, any <laughs> other surprises on day one? No, not really. Um, again, I, you know, I think as you look at the, you know, the, at least the early enrollees they brought in, especially Graham and Karloftis, this the bodies. It's, it's just a different. This is a different look. This is a different look from what Purdue fans have been used to seeing. You know, and that that has started over the last couple years. You've seen different guys. Uh, that that Brahman and staff have brought in that, you know, bigger, stronger, more ready to play guys than they've had in the past, and you know I think you see that you definitely see that with Karloftis and and Jalen Graham, two guys that definitely looked the part, and two guys that I you know I think should be able to to play in some capacity uh, in the fall. What does this all culminate in for for you this spring? Like, what what do you? When you look what you need to see, what Purdue needs to see on the last day of camp as opposed to the first day of camp, is it just is it just more answers, just more, you know, with that offensive line, with some of these spots in the secondary, just more instead of well, maybe we've got something more of like no, this guy has settled something. Well, I think when you get, you know, it's hard to tell, it's hard to t- walk out of the spring game and have that answers if you're just focusing on the spring game because the spring game is just kind of a hodgepodge of I didn't mean necessarily whatever. the game. I, I know, but, but that's like their 15th practice. Right. Really, you start, in my mind, you start judging it in practice 14 and 13 and 12. Okay, how much progress has been made? Mm-hmm. Are, are, are Is the offensive line still the same group that it was on day one? Or have things changed enough where – another guy has emerged to be where Alex Criddle is or Will Bramo is now. Um, and, you know, you look at, you know, you look at receivers and the development. Can they still, can they get any separation on Purdue's defensive backs? Uh, you know, it's been a struggle. And they don't really have the outright, outside receivers on this roster right now other than Rondell Moore to do that. So can they at least make some progress in that area? So you're just – you're just looking for progress. Just, I think, as the coaching staff, you're just looking for progress. You know, or, or do they look better um, coming out of spring than they did start? And you, you can you can tell some of that with uh, the just the naked eye by watching other things. Maybe like the offensive line, you may have to go back and study film a little bit more 
to see how much improvement was was really made. Uh, but you you kind of also know by who's in there playing. Mm-hmm. I think you know the coaches are you know Brom really doesn't. They have secrets, but they don't. You know the secrets disappear based on who's playing and whether who they're happy with. So I think that gives you a, a pretty good indication of kind of where where they would be where they'd be heading from some of these position standpoints. But it's you know you just the, the main thing is they they can't get anybody else but hurt or injured that's going to keep them out for a long time. And I they're going to protect some guys, especially on the offensive line, because McCann and and Hermans are, are two guys that have been banged up. Um, so they're going to get uh, uh, they'll get their share of reps, but they're also going to be protected, and just like a lot of other guys will be. One last thing that struck me about your, your first day reporting, um, you guys got to talk to Elijah Sindelar, and you know he and David Blau always said the right things the last couple of years about their relationship and that quarterback battle and you know who was going to start, all that stuff. I really do imagine – that he's sincere now when he says it, it feels different when you are QB one, you know, you're QB one from day one and there's a different ownership to that team. There's it, it raises expectations probably a little bit, but he seems like the kind of guy who wants that is his moment is here. And now he gets to kind of work over these next six months to get ready for the year under that, you know, with that label on him in a good way. Yeah. I think he welcomes the, whether it be the pressure of it or just the opportunity of it, to be that guy. And even Brian Brown said yesterday that even though he was named the starter last year going into the Northwestern game, there was still like this little apprehension that, okay, am I stepping on David's toes? Am I, what am I doing here? And with David Blau on the sideline, he's kind of that, that guy that just kind of, he has a presence. He has but a then, presence. But then also, if I throw three interceptions in the first half, I'm right. not done. It's not the reason he threw three interceptions, right. but I think, in the in the overall big picture of it all, he should be more relaxed. He knows he's the guy. He's been told he's the guy multiple times. So he just needs to go out and play and perform. And anything that happens now is not to me. It's not of a of a, of a mindset thing. It's just yeah. you got to go out and perform and play. He has some limit uh, some limitations because he doesn't scramble as well as David. So he has to be careful there. Uh, and you know the 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 offensive line around him has to um, has to be better, and they have to protect him. And I, you know, I feel if they can protect him, then he's going to have an opportunity to create some big plays based on the weapons that they have. But yeah, he, I think he's a little bit more relaxed, knowing that. I mean, he he likes David. Him and David had a great relationship, but you know, David's not on the sideline anymore, and I, I think that. Whether that played in his head a little bit, I, I, you know, it sounded like it did a little bit. But he was also, he didn't want to do anything to disrupt that relationship. And him and David had, had, had uh, created over the last several years, and really made the whole thing work. And but now he doesn't have that. He has he doesn't have that kind of relationship with the backups. Not that he doesn't like them. It's just he doesn't have that yeah. that situation. I mean, it's his job. I mean, he would really have to do some really awful things not to be the starting quarterback this year, right. which I don't anticipate happening. Uh, speaking of awful things, we're going to translate <laughs> over to bas- transfer over to basketball, That's where funny. someone did an awful thing over the weekend by leaving their wet clothes on a heater in a Lincoln, Nebraska uh, hotel, which forced me and the entire men's wow. basketball traveling. <laughs> 
uh, contingent to gather down in the lobby with a bunch of strangers and uh, wait out a fire. Uh, but other than that, it was a pretty uh, good week for Purdue, winning two road games kind of by very narrow margins. But I, I sort of asked this in something I wrote today, and I was asking just um, rhetorically, I suppose, but like, at what, you, know, you know, Purdue keeps having these kind of razor-thin margins and coming out on top, whether it's you go back to winning at Wisconsin in overtime and pulling that game out at Penn State where Carson Edwards had to go down and make a layup with five seconds left. And then the two wins last week that couldn't have really been much closer, the, the Matt Harms tip-in and everything at Indiana. And is is a team's ability to keep doing that a a feature or is it a a bug is it something that are you potentially are you just sort of playing with fire here until the night where um you know missing all these shots or or getting out rebounded is is the the death blow yeah i mean it depends how you want to look at it. i mean i i saw the probably the last 15 minutes of the nebraska game and yeah, they had to make some plays, but I always felt like they had it under control. I mean, yeah. it was a late three that made it a three-point game, right? Uh, the, a late three that cut it to four, and then they went down and made one of two. I remember this now because the guy – I talked to a guy at the hotel bar who had him at four and a half, and <laughs> this did not work out for him because it was six, and then they hit a three, fouled. Purdue went down and hit one of two that made it a – I think – no, maybe they cut it from seven to four. He went down and hit a th- – Hit one of two free throws to make it five, and then he came down and made a layup. At the Purdue just let him have a layup at the buzzer, and that made it three. Okay, so the backdoor cover really messed that right. guy's. My point is that up. sometimes the final scores can be a little deceiving. Yes, as far as when you start looking at you know margin of victory, but that game was tighter with like four minutes left right. than it was in the last. But game. I but also felt like Purdue kind of took control um, at some point in that game where you felt comfortable that they were going to win. And mm-hmm. you know the way things have gone in the Big Ten where you do have a bunch of evenly matched teams at times that whatever you do on the road is just – if you get a win, it's like, okay, yeah, that's great. Move on. You know, the IU game was just kind of a bar fest at times with oh, yeah. poor shooting and people just call poor it a, play. People are and, calling it a rock fight, but I'm like, no, sometimes <laughs> targets get hit in a rock fight. This was not a rock right. fight. Right. It was just a matter of holding on – and making a play at the end. Yeah. And that's what um, – and I'm sure the IU fans thinks that Harms was over the back. That's probably – to be honest, that's probably a call that's made in the first half. Maybe. Yeah. But at On that, the road. Right. Maybe. At, at, that, at that point in the game, you just – I mean, unless yeah. it's something – unless blood is drawn. You're swallowing a whistle at that point. <laughs> at that, yeah. You should, at least. Often you are, yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, that was a type of, you know, play where – I mean, Purdue could have easily lost that game the way – Things started to unravel yeah. uh, at the end. Um, yeah, I mean, you can uh, close games should be able to help you the next time you are in a close game. Um, but I don't know. This is this kind of the makeup of this team right now, where um, you know they're they're gonna they're gonna find themselves in these games because just of who they are, and because there's gonna be a night where Grady Eifert doesn't make those plays those whatever right. weirdo plays that he made on, on on Saturday against Nebraska, that he may not make those plays against Illinois. Right. And therefore, you need a Carson Edwards not to be three for 85 in a game. And that hasn't quite been that. <laughs> four for 24 was the low mark okay. at, at Indiana. But you know, 
but you at some point you need your your better players, your superstars to be your superstars. Mm-hmm. And Carson is going through a horrendous shooting slump right now. He's good enough to get out of it. You just it's a matter of when he gets out of it, I think. Yeah. Um and Matt, I, don't, Matt I, I don't think people are going to play him differently. And they shouldn't. No. But there's going to come a point where he's going to hit those he's going to hit that hit those shots. I don't think he's probably lost any confidence just but once he sees the ball go in the basket a little bit more I think that he'll he'll raise his offensive game a little bit and I think I think his teammates will recognize that too and kind of you know play to him and say okay you do what you need to do to get your mojo back because they they really they, they cannot win and I don't know if they can win in the Big Ten tournament and I don't know if they can win in the NCAA tournament if he's four for 24. No, I think that the, a four for twenty four game from anyone, but especially him. I mean, he a game like that will end their season potentially in the first couple rounds of the NCAA tournament. But I, I also think that's something that can't be in his head necessarily. Um, and you know, Matt Painter said the same thing today. We talked to him after practice, and way you know, he's trying to just be practical about it and say, well, the way I look at it is that means we've got a bunch of made baskets that we're due now because, <laughs> because you know, Carson Edwards is not a seven for 40 shooter in his right. career, which is what he was last week from the right. field, seven for 40 and one for 20 from three point range. He's not that shooter. Now he's, I would argue not also a 40% three point shooter, which he kind of was last year. He has not been that really for the balance of this season either, but somewhere in the middle is where <laughs> he, this team can really thrive. And I still think he's, we see it in flashes. It's it's right there if he wants to take it. The thing where he takes just a handful fewer of those shots per game and and reverses the ball and something else good happens in the offense. If if that if he ever starts doing that consistently, this team becomes something else. If it doesn't, then they probably are just still kind of hanging on the edge here. See, that's my fear about this team when they get in a tournament situation is yep. you get in a close game, he's not having a good shooting game. And he's going to revert back to, uh, I can just shoot myself out of it and shoot my team into right. it. Right. And that's when you get beat. Yeah. And, and and we've seen that a couple times this year where he just feels like, whether he feels like he has to do it or he wants to do it. You know, I don't know if there, there's probably a, a, a thin line there between those two, uh, those two words. But he's also got to, you know, He's got. To, I think he's got to have better recognition of the situations too. When you get in a tournament and it's kind of one and done, whether it be the Big Ten or the NCAA, um, I think you know. I, at some point, I think he has to have a bigger picture in mind, even during a game. Yeah, and that you know that may be hard for him to do. I, I don't. I you don't know, that. but he can't. Again, as you said, if he goes four for twenty-four at United Center, <laughs> and then four for twenty-four wherever you're at. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in three weeks. Hopefully Columbus, but probably not the way that my <laughs> travel has been going. Then you're year. coming home is what's yeah. happening. Yes, and and you know, you've got Grant Klein, one of the best three-point shooters that's ever played at Purdue, bar none, I would say. You've got Matt Harms and Trevon Williams, both during Big Ten play in the top 10 or 11 players in terms of field goal percentage. Matt Harms leads a Big Ten during Big Ten play in field goal percentage. You've got options there. It's just a matter of, again, he has to kind of get that out of his head. And and we've seen it in flashes. He just can't seem to fully engage it. And if he does, I think, again, I think Purdue becomes a, a more dangerous team in the tournament, um, or at least one with, with – it reduces that vulnerability. 
Um, I know you've got to get going to another appointment, but um, just quickly, Purdue, four games left. They've got um, Illinois, kind of a scary Illinois team at home on Wednesday. Um, Ohio State, still a strong team, and they're playing for their tournament lives, potentially there at Mackey Arena for Senior Day on Saturday, and then road games at Minnesota and Northwestern. So um, Purdue controls its own destiny in the Big Ten race. If it wins out, it shares. It does no worse than shares the 24th Big Ten Championship. We talked a little bit last week about why that's uh, so important for this program, and we may touch on it next week if that's still in play. So, um, How important is those getting in the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament? Uh, I don't know that. Because based on – I think just as long as you have that double buy, I think that's the, the most important thing. I understand thing. that, but when you look at some of the teams that are vying for that fourth spot, you got Maryland, you got Iowa. Who else is in that mix? I mean, because your, your, your top three are pretty well set. Yes. I think. It's just a matter of what order they're going to be. Then, you, yeah, you got Wisconsin, you got Maryland, you got Iowa. Yeah. So you're looking at four, five, and six right there. One of them is going to be the four. So the five and the six you are going to feed into – the four, and then the six is going to feed into the three. To me, those top six teams in the Big Ten have clearly established themselves yes. as the best teams in the conference. Now, being one or two, you kind of avoid that. But if you're three, you're going to play one of those teams in your first game. That's a good point. And I think that's that's kind of a dangerous – maybe for a team like Purdue, that might be a little bit more dangerous than Michigan State, depending on if they have Ward back and some of their guys, you know, if they have a – as full of a team as they can have at this point, or Michigan, who seems to be struggling a little bit offensively uh, right now. But um, I, I didn't know if it was really important based on how this year's big look team has, 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 has played out that maybe getting the one or the two seed in yeah. this conference might be beneficial as far as getting to the uh, – getting to the semifinals. Now that I look at it that way, I think you're all right. I think, you know, because I think there is a separation after six. I think Ohio State and Minnesota, seven, eight right now, they're good teams, but they're not, I think Iowa, Wisconsin, Maryland, those teams are a different level. So I think that, that is something to keep in mind. And if Purdue were to lose again and end up being tied for second with Michigan when this is all said and done, it loses that tiebreaker right. for the seed. They only played Michigan once. They lost in Ann Arbor. So that's how you get the three seed if you're Purdue right now. But you know they're in a good position just because, like I said, they get to focus on all we got to do is just win the next game and then win the next game. They don't have to worry about – I mean, it's a distraction right now because obviously if – Michigan were to beat Michigan State and Purdue were to win out at this point, some things can happen. Or if Michigan State loses other games, but um, you know, right now again, just just winning out gets them uh, what where no one would have expected them to be maybe at the start of the year, or certainly really in mid December. So, well, the schedule sets up for them. Really, I know they they finish with two games on the road, right? And the Minnesota game to me is probably the most dangerous game they have left. Agreed, because that that place that environment. Uh, you're going to have a Minnesota team that's still going to be on the bubble. That's going to need a, a a net one or two win sure. at that point. And, and Minnesota played them tough, <laughs> right? Well, mean, they had what a ten, double digit lead, yeah, in the first yeah. or second half. What one of those two? Yeah, they, they, it was the game where they needed um, a big stretch from the non Carson Edwards people, right? And then they needed him to come in and do kind of the things I was talking about before, as far as leading that offense and sparking things. So. Yeah, I, I think that is a dangerous game, and but it's only dangerous if it only matters in the same way if they win the next two, and that that's kind of the the the, the place they're in right now is just uh, it's almost a they get to start to survive in advance, except the consequences aren't quite as high. But um, you know, every every win from here on in without a loss ha has great value for them. So 
Um, I will be at Mac Arena for both of those games. I'll be at uh, the barn and I'll be at the new uh, um, Welsh Ryan Arena as well next week. So um, join us at jconline.com for that coverage. Follow me on Twitter at inbearedjc. Follow him on Twitter at carmenjc. We will be back again next week with more Boilers Extra.